I know it's hard on you, but it's good for you. Bodily exercise profiteth very little as far as the spiritual things is concerned, but in the natural, it profiteth a whole lot. Okay, up like this. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Come on, Tommy. Stand up there. Praise the Lord. Come on, Teresa. Stand up there. Where you at, Abby? Come on. Get up out of there. Put your hands up in the air. Come on. <laughs> Shame on you poor little things. You got no hands either, huh? Got no ears? Some ain't got no hands. Let's put our hands together and worship the Lord. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, I'll remind you, young people, one of these times, probably prayer very soon now, you're going to be asking God to help you on your lessons. And then he's going to remind you that I wanted you to lift your hand to me and praise me, and you wouldn't do it, so you're on your own. I ain't got time to mess with you. All right, you may be seated. One of the greatest privileges is to worship the Lord. Turn with me to 32nd chapter of Ezekiel. Out of all the prophets, major or minor, Ezekiel was the most cover colorful of them all. And when you read about this man... Sometimes you'll laugh, sometimes you'll cry, sometimes you'll wonder what inspired him, and sometimes you wonder what was the matter with God's people. But he demonstrated his message by signs and by visions and by many different areas he demonstrated what he was preaching symbols of all types and so on on one particular occasion he ate a scroll to that was of course all of these was under the direction of god to reinforce his message and you take God's word and you eat it. On another occasion, he cried and he walked and he wailed, slapping his sides, demonstrating the agony of Almighty God concerning his people that had walked away from him. On another occasion, he lay on his left side 390 days, one day for a year for Israel, demonstrating to them how long they would be in captivity at that particular time. On the other occasion, he turned then and lay immediately on his right side for 40 days, which was for Judah and Benjamin, half-tribe of Levi. And on one occasion, he was told to cut his hair and then divide it into thirds and you can read about that and what all he did with that to demonstrate what God was going to do to his people if they did not hear his words. 
And then another occasion he took a tile or a brick and he set it there and says, this is Jerusalem. Then he took an iron pan and he said, this is what is going to happen as I bring you and siege around about you and these things are going to happen. On the 24th chapter, the Bible says that God took his wife from him. His love, the apple of his eye. She's going to be taken with a stroke. And uh, he told Ezekiel that, I don't want you to waste time crying. I want you to waste time grieving. I don't want you to waste time with any words from man. I want you to take my gospel and I want you to minister it to my people. And this Ezekiel did. And also in the third chapter, as well as some of the others, Ezekiel was called and set as a watchman. As he was watching over things that was to come and he was to warn those individuals. And in the 33rd chapter, it talks about the watchman's duty, what he was supposed to do. And now I want us to go back 587 B.C. and observe Ezekiel as he hears the questions and commandments of God. Ezekiel, of course, and this is not a new chapter, Ezekiel, of course, was set in the midst of a valley that was filled with dry bones. Now, historians and Josephus, as well as other historians, said this was one of Israel's finest armies at one time. It was not defeated because it was not the greatest army that Israel could field or anybody else could feel, field. It was defeated because of the watchman that was supposed to be watching and found other things more pressing in his need, and he failed to alert the army about what was about to happen as the sneak attack was going to come from the Babylonians. And so because of the failure of the watchman, this army was completely destroyed. Now, there are lessons in that for us. Of course, I realize this book is talking for the most part about Israel, in which we are the modern-day Israel. And it's talking about the things that Israel of old went through and the promises that God gave. And most of this chapter, of course, has a far view of the unification of Judah and 
of the ten tribes of Israel and when they're going to come together. But it also has within us, within it, an example that we should look at and realize the near view is for us today. Israel of old as well as the church of the living God as well as individuals. Our nation is soon going to face defeat if our watchman, which is our president and our Congress and House of Representatives and our courts, does not awaken to the realization that they are supposed to be watchmen on the wall for us. They are the ones that are supposed to see what is happening, the ones that are supposed to lead us and take care of us. And of course they, they have been slack concerning their duties and because of that we are faced with areas of our life that we should never have been faced with. We're faced with abortion of millions of children that should never have happened while the watchman slept, while the church slept, the pastors and ministers of the church slept because we become concerned about us feeling good and about a congregation we might win if we become silent about it. And because of that, we are coming very close with one of the greatest armies that the world has ever known, which is the United States of America, coming very close to being taken captive because our watchman is not watching. And because the one that has always brought us victory which is God for Israel of old and for God for modern-day Israel and God for the church, has definitely been asleep. Homosexuality is on the rampage. Lesbianism is on the increase. Immorality is everywhere. Airwaves is filled with nudity and sexual overtures and all of this and the watchman in our nations or in our nation is asleep for the most part in the church of the living God the watchman is asleep we're more concerned about what our politics has always been and is now then we are about the morality of our nation. And because of that, we have much that has taken us back a hundred years, or maybe even more, finally into the dark ages, while the watchmen slept. For the most part, the denominational church got its ministers from the deep freeze of the seminaries who knew very little about what God wanted and was asleep. Even now we have ministers that 
or gay ministers and homosexuals, and you have people clamoring after them. While our nation slept and the leaders slept, and while spirit-filled individuals who were called to be prophets had no voice. And so the enemy is closing in on us. We need some prophets that will eat the scroll. Amen. We need some that would ingest the Word of God and eat it and then proclaim it as God says, Do you eat this? It's going to be sweet as honey in your mouth, going to be bitter in your belly because you've got to keep it down and it's not political, collect, per, political correct. We need some individuals not only leaders of the church, but saints of the church that will cry and wail and walk, slapping our sides because of the evil that is surrounding us. We need somebody that would lay before God 390 days if necessary, 40 days if necessary, but lay before God and plead for our nation and for our church and for individuals that we are representative of. We need individuals standing here. Say this is the United States of America. And an iron pan that says this is what is coming against us if we don't find an awakening in our land. So Ezekiel was brought to task and thus walked back with him approximately 587 B.C. And thus look carefully at some scriptures that is meaningful to us today. Let's scrutinize the Word of God. See what God is trying to get to us. It's the easiest thing in the world to put it back and say that's Ezekiel time. Or put it in the future and say that's Israel's time. And not recognizing that God is talking to us through symbolic means. And he wants us to make aware that in spite of what the far reference was, the near reference is to us. Our immediate dispensation and our immediate congregation. God is speaking to us. The first verse says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley that was full of bones. Number one, the hand is rendered in more or less the ancient manuscripts as the power of the Lord was upon me and carried me out. In other words, when an expression like this is made to any individual, he can expect an extraordinary event in his life as God unfolds it before him. And so Ezekiel, when the hand of God and the power of God was upon him, 
And he was carried by the urgency of the Spirit in the midst of a valley that was full of bones. Ezekiel had every right in the world to expect an extraordinary event to follow his ministry. And I wonder what he thought when God, instead of setting before him a congregation of live individuals, Ezekiel was set in the midst of an army that had been slain some years ago. And the Bible says and he, uh, that he set him down in the midst thereof. Now it doesn't say how long Ezekiel sat there, but I can remember in one place, I think I mentioned it Sunday night, where he sat where they sat for seven days observing individuals in the cap in captivity. How long he sat here, nobody knows, but he was sitting there observing and looking and wondering what in the world God had in mind to take him from flesh and bones and ears that could hear and set him down in the midst of a valley filled with dry bones. He was expecting something miraculous. And he had a right to. And many times in our individual life, and I'm going to make it pertinent to us as individuals and then as a church, and then as ministers, there have been times, and I'm speaking for myself, when the power of God is heavy upon me, and by His power He carries me in the Spirit and sets me down. And I'm expecting something more than just sitting as Ezekiel was in the midst of dry bones. And I'm sitting there many times, and I won't mention the places that I've been set, observing and looking around, and in my own life I'm wondering, why am I here? Why did God set me here? And then in the second verse, God got him up and caused him to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were not just bones, but they were very dry bones. And so after allowing him to sit there and observe, God gets him up and says, Look around this battlefield. Behold what was one time a glorious fighting army of the living God, the greatest army that there was. And behold them as they lie bleaching in the sun. I think sometimes God looks at our nation. But I don't want to deal with our nation that much because we have, for the most part, trying to be politically correct. We have 
allowed these things in, which is supposed to be the guardian of our wonderful nation, and knowing things they stood for because we wanted to be like everybody else was, we allowed these things to creep in. But I want to come down to where we individually as well as a church can do something about this. God causes us as leaders of the church as well as the bride of the living God that He is trying to come into causes us to walk around and view the bones of what one time was a very powerful church of the living God filled with power and holiness and up to keep captive the sins of this world and stretched forth His hand and healed and caused the church to be birthed and gave it power enough to create 5,000 and 3,000 souls in one day and caused it to be powerful insomuch that it spread around the world and God is asking us to look at it yes. as its bones bleach in the hot sunlight of what used to be because of our failures as leaders and as saints of God, to realize that we have part and lot in this matter. We seem to have been satisfied with us. We come to church for us. What we can receive for us. We leave sometimes disappointed because it really wasn't for us, it was for somebody else. And while the bones of the first church bleach in the sun and become very, very, very dry, what used to be is not anymore. What used to have power to look the devil in the eye and curse him and cast out devils by the name of Jesus it's not here anymore. What used to be laying hands on the sick and see them recover, it's not here anymore. You just well say, man, we know it's not here. It's lacking something. The bones of the early church is bleached and they're very dry. And God takes us in this boneyard and says, walk around and see what you've lost. What a mighty army this was. The cripples came in and left their crutches. Blind people came in and scales fell from their eyes. The afflicted came in and walked out not afflicted anymore. Hallelujah! Because of a power, of a living God that was there. Amen. And God says, if you want to learn a lesson, walk around and look at those bones of what used to be and think about it. 
And he's not just asking me that. He's asking you that. And then after observing all of that, and knowing the history of all of that, and sitting there observing all of that, and then walking around and all of that, so Ezekiel could get the full picture of what this was. That God did not just set him there to show him mountains of dry bones. Ezekiel, I want you to see everything there is to see about this. I want you to understand this was Israel's great army. I want you to understand the failure of the watchmen. And I want you to look at them. And the Bible says Ezekiel saw them as he walked by. And it wasn't just bones. They were bleached by the sun. And they were scattered. All saints. God's people is scattered everywhere. There are those at one time testified with the power and might of Almighty God and testified of that and they're bleaching, they're drying everywhere. And then after beholding all of that, he asked Ezekiel a question, son of man, can these bones live? Let me ask a question. Can this church, this church world, but this church, can it live again? Like the newborn church in Acts? Can it live? Now, if I was going to answer, after beholding what Ezekiel has beheld, and after beholding what I have beheld for 50 years, and sometimes what I'm beholding now, of saints that are not really concerned and not really care, I would just have to say, I don't think so. But Ezekiel's faith had took him all of this time believing, doing those odd things because he believed God and it had brought him to this valley. Now might I say to us who want something more than anything else, now is not the time for our faith to fail us. Now is the time for us to look up in the face of God and say, as Ezekiel said, Lord God, Thou knowest. If I was going to be the judge, Ezekiel said, I have observed them, I have surveyed them, I have walked around them, there is no life in them, they're scattered every direction. If I was going to make the judgment on my own, I would know they couldn't. But oh, thank God, as the song says, we've come this 
for by faith leaning on the Lord. Hallelujah. And Ezekiel was saying, it's too late for me to disbelieve you now. He said, if they can, you know they can. And if you desire them to, they will. God, erase doubt and fears from us and make us realize that though we see the bones of the early church and the other early fathers and all those signs and miracles and gospel power as they ministered, lay there. God has got something in store for this latter-day church that would challenge our very imagination. And Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. I'm going to say, God, you know whether they can or not. And I believe they can, if you will it. Whether I'm a part of it or not. Whether I am so simple that I still lean on flesh and not on God. Well, I'm so simple that I still walk contrary to God and still get more enlightenment out of material things than I do godly things. That still waste my time and tire my body out until I'm not able to comprehend spiritual things. God is going to have somebody that is going to say, God... If you want this church to live one more time, if you desire this church to walk one more time, if you desire this church to come alive, it'll come alive. That's great, God. Let it come alive. No, it's not that simple. It's not that simple at all. And then God, in the fourth verse, has spoken to Ezekiel and said, I want you to preach upon these bones. I want you to look at that lifeless army that is withering in the dust of yet your years. I want you, after beholding them and looking at them, and seeing the skeletons is scattered everywhere, I want you to preach to them. Friend, we have no alternative, Pastor. We have no alternative, Brother Todd. We have no alternative, Brother Lee and Sister Gail and Sister Joyce, other than to look death in the face and preach to death and preach to the enemy and preach to the dry bones until... God does something. All the messages and intellect in this world can, I can receive will never cause anything dead to come alive. And I'm serving a God of heaven that can cause it to happen. Yeah, amen. Woo! Amen. Hallelujah. I'm glad I'm feeling something. Praise the Lord. We've got a job to do. And it doesn't make any difference how it looks to us. Begin to doubt God. And I look at this town and I see it and I listen 
has one after another passes beyond this veil of tears. And I see mankind walking the same as he always walked. And he's dying and he still don't turn to God. And God says, what do you think about this town, Pastor? What do you think about this town, Brother Todd? What do you think about this town, Lanes? My wife, what do, you, what do we think about this town? Can these bones live? Can this town experience revival again? Can it really? Not without the Word of God. Not without laying the axe at the root of the tree and let the chips fall where they may. Not without eating that scroll. Not without moving the Word of God down here. And God says, now then, that you've eaten the scroll. It's bitter in your belly. I want you to go in the haste of it all. I want you to do something. I just want you to preach to those bones. Ezekiel could have ordered. It don't show any signs that he ever did. God says, I want you to say to those old dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And Ezekiel turns and he looks at that graveyard. <laughs> Can you imagine how foolish he must have felt? Not as foolish as I felt sometimes when I preach to nobody that listens. <laughs> Amen. Can you imagine how foolish he must have felt when, and I suppose he could have said, but God, I'm sick and tired of this. They won't listen and they got flesh on them. And now you ask me to preach these bones. How in the world are they going to listen? But Ezekiel didn't do that. He had obeyed God all this time. He'd made a spectacle of himself. He'd cut off his hair and he's laid on his side and he swallowed a, a, a scroll and he put a brick and said, This is Jerusalem and an iron pan and said, This is iron, iron force. And all those things that he'd done all this time, his wife was taken away from him, which was the love of his life. And God said, I don't want you to cry about it. I just want you to let somebody else bury her. And I want you to go on and preach my gospel. And all Ezekiel turned his eyes from that which he loved because he loved God even more. And he began to follow after Almighty God. God help us. God help us. To understand God has always demanded all we've got. And faith beyond that which we can see. What we can see is not faith. What we can imagine can be done is not faith. It's what we look at. And in our own eyes, literally impossible. And yet God says, Ezekiel, stand there 
the graveyard of this mighty army and preach to them and say, Oh, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear what God has to say to you. And thus saith the Lord, fifth verse, unto these bones. Ezekiel, you say this to those bones. You're not going to get a response just yet. But I'm going to cause breath to enter into you, and you'll live. I'll lay sinews upon you, and bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now Ezekiel, you tell those lifeless bones out there, you preach to them. I'm not going to do anything, Ezekiel, because you're my man. Hallelujah. We're his men and we're his women. And he's not going to do anything until we get back bone enough to look this world in the face that is dead in sins and iniquity and preach the word of God to them. And so I preach to them. How long? We don't know. We think all this happened like that, but it didn't. It was a space of time that he sat there. It was a space of time that he walked around and observed. And then it was a space of time before God spoke to him and said, Now, Ezekiel, you think these bones can live? And Ezekiel said, God, you know. And then he says to him, I want you to preach to these bones. I want you to tell them what can happen and what I'm going to do to them. And so the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> oh, dear God. No wonder Paul said the foolishness of preaching. And that's what individuals think about it. Individuals standing up here screaming at you. Standing up here uh, begging you to listen. The foolishness of preaching. But yet Ezekiel knew that if God wanted him to preach to them, and God said He was going to bring them and put sinews upon them and bring those bones together in the rightful place. Then if He preached to them, God was going to do it. I have to search my belief in God. As I've said before, there's some scriptures I like to dwell in and others I just soon forget. Because it brings a challenge to me. It brings it home to me. Do I have faith and confidence enough in God to believe that He wants to cause this power of this first church that went about salvaging souls and went about building places and churches in the midst of idolatry and all of that, if He wants it to 
come to life again, can I believe that He means what He says? Now we have to labor in the vineyard wherein Christ has placed us. And so the vineyard is right here. I saw the time when apostolic authority in the Holy Ghost maneuvered itself in every house of God around here and I saw revival every place and I saw souls saved by the hundreds and filled with the Holy Ghost as they come down the aisle. I saw miracles and wonders. And then I look out. I saw the town turned upside down. I saw taverns closed. I saw places on the hill at bootleg went out of business. I saw houses of ill repute couldn't exist anymore. In this town, in this town, in this town, where you live, which is your town. And then I watched as it died. And I watched as the early church authority, a great army of God, lie listless in the sands of time and their bones bleaching out there. And God brings us to bear with just a few and called out individuals and causes us to set and look at the barrenness and the nakedness and all the things of this town and what it was and watch that great revival spirit die and those individuals that felt that power bleaching in the sunlight of the hot sun. And he looks upon us and says, What do you think? You think I can move in this town again? Do you think those bones out there can live? What do you think? What do I think? What difference does it make what I think? If we've got trust enough in God, as Ezekiel had, he simply says, God, they don't deserve a thing. But you know. You know. Whether revival can come again or not. You know whether this town can be turned around. You know whether you can send individuals down that aisle with tears streaming down their cheeks and begging for God's forgiveness. You know whether they can be filled with the Holy Ghost at their seat and on the outside. You know whether this church can be filled to the brim and other churches also. You know God. Then God says, Take this, Brother Roy. Take this, Brother Todd, in the lanes back there. And my wife, take this and eat it. And then preach. And then as we preach, that same scroll lights upon the congregation. And you take it. And you eat it. Because 
It's what you believe that matters to you. If you think it's all over, it is. And so Ezekiel prophesied. How long? Who knows? Maybe it's like some of us. He just keeps preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching. And we preach the same ones over and over and over again. And there's no movement out here. And Ezekiel just kept preaching. He says in the seventh verse, As I was commanded, preach the truth. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And you turn away from that. And you get into my word. And you preach. And you preach. And you preach until something happens inside and outside. Preach the word. And then there was a great noise. Remember that noise at Pentecost? There was a great shaking. Hallelujah, that Holy Spirit of God moved upon them. And a hundred and twenty was filled with the Holy Ghost. And they came out, the early church, filled with power. And began to preach. And there was a shaking. And then the bones came together. This bone moved from way over there and found this bone. And this bone moved there and found this bone. They were scattered. They were very dry. And all it was, it was a, a, a dead object beginning to move. <laughs> Hallelujah! Because Ezekiel was preaching. It was something that was dead began to find its place. Oh, let's find a place in the body of Christ. And finding its place. And lo, here they were together. This was just a skeleton. But it was a skeleton that wasn't scattered anymore. It was something God could do something with. Amen. Hallelujah. A coming together of God's people. And then he still was preaching. And flesh come upon them. And sinews covered them. And here was that great army. At one time lay splittered and dry. And it was together now. But there was no breath in them. God says, I moved upon them. I moved around them. I've got their attention. And now then, the thing that's going to make them a great army again is missing. 
They need to be alive. They need the Holy Ghost moving them. They have to be alive. To be a body is not enough. The body has to be alive. To be a body here is not enough. Our body has to come alive and realize we have every responsibility out here in the midst of these dry bones. You walk around them all the time. You see them all the time. And if you can't, you should. So God says, you're not through preaching yet, Ezekiel. A lot of people just quit when we get them quote-unquote saved. Or when they make a little commitment, as I've said in Sunday school class, and I've said it often, people come in here and everybody does the praying for them, and they don't pray at all. And then we wonder why they're not established. People have got to pray for themselves. We can pray with them, but we must not pray for them. It's foolishness, and it fools them as well as us. We're looking for something that's never going to happen until somebody lays their life on the line and asks God out of their own spirit to salvage their soul. Okay? So it's now then I've got them together and you've got a body. But it's got to be alive. Saints, we've got to be alive. I mean, we've got to hear the Word of God and we've got to be alive. And now then, Ezekiel, you have observed all of this. Now then, you're still to preach. God could have said, I could have done all of this without you, Ezekiel. But I've placed my trust in my mouthpieces, which is the ministry and the saints of God. And if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. You can pray for God to go out there and reach souls all you want to, but you are the hands and the mouth of God. And so he says, now Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy unto the wind. Now you can talk to this wind that we know it out here. And it can blow however it wants to blow. And it's not going to do anybody any good. I know a lot of people that feel the fresh air of the wind and their life has never changed. But what was it, John, I believe it was said, about the Holy Ghost, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou canst hear the sound thereof, canst not tell from whence it cometh or where it goeth. So is every one and is born of the Spirit of God. So it is not the natural wind. It's the breath of God that breathes. And say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, 
and breed upon these slain that they may live. Oh, Holy Ghost, oh, Spirit of God, revive us again in the assembly and breathe upon us first and then cause the Word of God to make the body come together and breathe your breath upon those souls out there that they might have power and authority enough to stand their ground with the enemy. God, get our minds on you rather than on everything else in this world. And the enemy is good at that. So he said, I prophesied, and I'm getting done. As he commanded me, and breath came into them. Hallelujah. And they lived. Oh, thank God. And stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. The same army that was destroyed because of the lack of the watchman. The same one because of the watchman of Ezekiel as he said of a watchman and he prophesied to them that same army because of a watchman that cared now was restored to their same original power. This army that was defeated hundreds of years ago, I don't know just how long, but that same army now stood and powerful. And might I say to you tonight, that same church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost under the inspiration of God's power, if He can find some lively souls in the house of God to believe on Him, there can be another great army that arrives as the early church was and we can see the blessing of a living God and the same thing that we saw some years ago. As God one more time permeates this town with that army that came in when the power of God was everywhere. And the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal the Lord knoweth them that are His. Yes, we have been rent in this town by divisions, passed on from one generation to another, still stirring the hearts of the second to the third generation about things that happened some years ago that would not allow them to embrace. And so should we quit? Should we just say, this is a dead field, this is a dead army out there. They had their chance. Now there is a scripture that says in the Bible, It had always been where the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. 
There's a scripture in the Bible that says that time is over with. Fathers can eat sour grapes, but it must not set the children's teeth on edge. The children are responsible for themselves, not the sins of their fathers. We've got as much potential, and I'm closing, in this town as Ezekiel had with his army. But we've got to preach. And you as saints have got to carry it out in this town. And before you can make anybody out there alive, you, I, us, as a body, has to be alive. People have to know we're alive. People have to get sick and tired of us telling about our ups and downs. They want to know that we are alive all the time. In any situation, we are alive because we are God's people whom He has placed in this town to turn the individuals around. We need to be alive. Stay on your feet and lift your hands to God and say, I want to be alive. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.